Jesse, we're getting together early. <laughs> I know. I can't believe this. (laughs) We're getting together early to do the podcast. Instead of coming out on time, we're coming out early. Woohoo! That's what she said. It it is going to be episode nine of the Reef Addicts podcast. I am Mark, a.k.a. Milev, and this is Jesse, a.k.a. (laughs) Jesse. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you. Glad to have you around. We are excited to get this podcast out to you because we are about to leave town yet again. We're going to meet in... Utah! Salt Lake City, the Mountain West Reef Fest is this weekend. So if you're listening to this podcast today, you need to get there tomorrow. True. Because that's how it's going to time out perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to release it. It's going to go to the web. People are going to download it. They're going to be listening to it. And then they need to get to Salt Lake City, Utah immediately. To attend this one-day conference, it's all day long. It costs you 10 bucks to get in as an adult. If you're 12 years old or younger, you should be listening to our podcast anyway. But if you, you, know, if you have kids that are younger, they can get in for free. <laughs> <laughs> we are not safe for 12-year-olds here on this podcast. Reef Addicts will be representing. We'll have a booth. We're going, we're going there this weekend. We're going to have a great time. So we decided to leave you with some uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I have some news. What's your news, Mark? I have an aquarium in my house. Yes! Yeah! (laughs) When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything. This tank is by Marineland. It's a beautiful custom order tank that took months of planning. I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but this may be your first time to hear the show or you just haven't you just don't recall the latest. So it's 84 inches long by 36 inches wide by 30 inches tall. It has Starfire front and a Starfire viewing panel on the end, which I'll be using to view the tank from the kitchen. And it's made with 3/4 inch glass on the front and back. The ends are half inch glass. It's double your braced along the top and your bracing along the bottom. You'll be seeing all the pictures of the tank as I continue to update my blog entries. And there's an external overflow so that the entire open area where the corals will be is completely unobstructed. It's a gorgeous piece of work. It definitely is a dream come true. And yes, it is like wishing upon a star to get a dream tank like this. So I thank Marineland for doing a great job in providing me with this stunning tank to showcase my corals in took forever but it is here i have pictures i have video i hope to get that on the web soon and maybe while this is editing and rendering and uploading i can get that done in the background we'll see Uh, it's exciting it arrived in perfect condition and it was a lot of work getting it inside we had eight suction cups that i'd borrowed from two different sources to actually manhandle the tank into the fish room and onto the stand Uh and it's a beautiful tank. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's exactly what I hoped for, and it seems to be exactly what I'm going to end up with. Yeah. Cool. So I'm excited about that. I wanted to talk to you about Midwest Frag Fest, which was last weekend, and that's when I went to Rockford, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago by one hour, because it was your type of event, Jesse. There was Halloween costumes, some of the speakers dressed up in funny stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, Scott Feldman dressed up like a woman. Nice. Uh, Yeah, with boobs. We knew he had those tendencies. (laughs) Knew it! I called it, Mark! And Matt Peterson dressed up as Team Zizu. He had the red cap, and uh, he he grew a funny beard just so he'd look the part. 
which nice. that's taking one for the team because it was kind of silly looking. And uh, that night after the event uh, had wrapped up on Saturday, we went to the bar and there was some amazing costumes. There was things that, you know, mine seemed boring by comparison. I was just a doctor, you know, so I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even put it on because of what I saw. These people looked way better. Nice. And who had the amazing idea for you to take your recording device along and ask somebody to do the podcast? Mm, I don't remember. You punk. I'd have to blame Jeff. I told Just... you, I told you <laughs> to get Matt Peterson on the podcast so that people can meet him and see how interesting he is and all the cool stuff that he's doing. So I hear you did that and you won up to me. You, you aren't <laughs> even doing the interview, are you? Nope. I got totally out of it. What I did was I got Matt Peterson to commit to doing the recording. We got together and... Then I had Scott Fellman sitting to my right. I said, hey, Scott, you're interviewing Matt. Here you go. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I haven't even heard it. And Scott did an amazing job. Yeah. So these two uh, talked for, I don't know, about 25, 30 minutes. It's a great interview, and it's coming up next. So what are you going to do with your fish room when all your saltwater fish crap out and die? Going to go with... <laughs> I'm totally going freshwater. That's my man. Yay, <laughs> freshwater. <laughs> single biggest challenge you have right now with the fish room single with the biggest fish room uh time definitely time and 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 uh just with the family and uh little baby i'm you know taking up time and work taking up time it's you need more time and how many more times can i say time and i haven't even been drinking yet <laughs> <laughs> what's the most interesting thing that you've discovered so far since you set that room up as far as being able to you know what, what's happened in the room being able to use it discoveries you've made things you do different well you know it's a it's a it's a nice clean slate i can really do anything i want and since i'm going really slow uh, anything i want to change online i'm not married to it it's not like i'm going with some master plan and and gonna get all the way set up and then have a tank crack and and just you know taking it really slow um obviously being in an unfinished basement in a northern climate it's you know, temperature is not a problem, which is kind of nice. Uh, you know, uh, having exposed wiring that's all 100 years old and knob and post is kind of scary. Uh, I feel like I'm living in a tinderbox. It's ready to go at any point. But uh, just it's allowed me to have more things to play with. And, and marine breeding is uh, one of these things where it takes a lot of time. Uh, you, you buy a pair of fish, and you might be waiting a couple years. So if you really want to get a lot of projects going, you have to have lots of room for broodstock. And then when you're starting to rear stuff, you need to have lots of room for larval culture. So the more space I have, just the more I can get done and the more I can tinker with. In your presentation, you said that marine breeding is a, is a and actually Tal said this too. I think you said something to the effect that it takes years. It's not something that happens overnight. So to someone just starting out with breeding a marine, a marine fish, would you say start with several different projects at one time or dedicate yourself to one species, one project? What's the, what's the thought on that? Well, my advice is always start with something that's really uh, that's easy and well documented, something that you know you can have success with. Um, you know, don't start out reaching for the stars because you're just setting yourself up for an unrealistic amount of failure. You're going to have failure regardless. So if you can start yourself off with something you've got a realistic chance of success at, that's going to give you the courage and, and the, the success to keep you motivated to then go try something harder. And you learn uh, you learn from that first experience. You know, you, you uh, when you make a mistake, 
uh, I don't know. You, you just learn. You, you're going to make some mistakes that are going to benefit you when you go out to try the next one. So you're not making those stupid beginner mistakes, and you can rule that out. And you're making the harder mistakes this time. And you'll, it just builds you up. Um, so the you know a lot of people go with clownfish, but there's other fish like band guys and uh, some of the meacanthus blennies. Uh, uh, Matt Wintrich actually suggests those as a great starter. Starterfish, the meacanthus, the fang oh. blennies, is being a, something that you're not going to wait three years for the pair to spawn. You know, people go out and they they get dollar signs in their eyes with like uh, latizanatus. Oh, I'm going to do latizanatus clowns, and I'm going to make a fortune. It's the designer SBS syndrome where we want the uh, the Miami hurricane yeah. and the chalice yeah. and whatever. So and people Same see thing. people see wild latizanatus, five hundred bucks, they go clownfish are easy. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do latizanatus. I'm going to get rich, and. Uh, even if you could do it, there's only three people in the world who've done it so far, um, and it's really hard, and it might take you half a decade just to get your brood stock going. So what are you going to do in the meantime? You know, is that, is that's not, it's just not a beginner project. You know, it, it, it's funny, too, because we hear, we hear so much about, you know, the next phase of the, hob- the marine hobby is captive propagation, captive breeding, which I absolutely believe it is. What can captive breeders do? Uh, to sort of unify, we've talked about this before, Tal, people getting their products to market, getting better recognition for captive bred marine fishes, getting them, getting the retail level, getting getting the demand up. What what can you do? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you want to you wanna bring Tal Sweet in on this one? Yeah, we can work uh, You're not on video. This yeah. is a- <laughs> Tal is completely naked. <laughs> and that's okay. We're, we're kind of all a little nervous, but uh, here you go. Okay, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so anyway, um, getting packed with breadfish into local stores, are you saying? Creating the market for them, to creating the market demand and getting it so the point where you guys can actually supply captive breadfish with the same regularity that we're getting the imported stuff, or to the point where people build up a demand, realizing that the market for imported fish may dry up in a few years. What can we do to head that off? Um... It's kind of difficult keeping a steady supply unless you have a lot of room. Um, but just talking to people about it, talking to other hobbyists, explaining the need for captive bred fish and why they're better, um, and providing good quality product out there that people can see that are actually better than captive bred, or, or I'm sorry, wild caught fish. Um, as far as getting a, a monthly supply up to your demand, that's really difficult. Um, you, think, you think it's always going to be like a boutique product where. Hopefully you know, it's not. Be a designer edge to the you know captive bread. I mean, Matt, you probably could qualify qualified to chat on that too. <laughs> I mean, what, well, well, I, I I always tell the breeders you can't all do the same fish. You can't all be doing clownfish, and yet that still seems to be everyone's got oscillaris and perks and basic stuff. And people have to branch out. We can't all be doing the same thing. And until until if wild caught fish ever get do shut down, it's going to be just a fundamental shift. And we're all we are going to be the people who provide all the fish. I don't want that to happen. I don't. At this point, we're not ready for it. Uh, but it it may happen someday. One way or another, it may happen. So right now, if we're all breeding clownfish and all just breeding the same old clownfish, it's, it's just you're all making the same product. It's like if if everyone had Ponape bird's nest, you know, would it be interesting at all? If it grew like a weed and everyone had it, it, it becomes worthless. Uh, we're in a hobby that tends to value rarity, value having diversity of choice, uh, value different just having that diversity of choice. And if we all breed clownfish, what are we going to be left with? Clownfish. So 
my advice to the breeders is always try to do different things, try to work with each other, um, you know, try to sit and if I'm breeding Flava Vertex Dottiebacks, you know, Sunrise Dottiebacks, um, I, if I raise up a thousand, that's going to saturate my local market for the next decade or two. But if I spread them around the country to different breeders, you know, they might be doing uh, Friedmanis and some of those come back my way. And so if, if they start working together and see the business side of it, where, uh, I mean, just going from my cichlid experience, you know, we right. had 200 species on our, on our wholesale list at any given moment. We didn't breed every single species that we offered. No, we bred the ones we couldn't find anywhere else. The stuff we could source from a quality farm or another breeder, we would, and vice versa. You created the demand. You created the, the market for that product by offering it. Well, basically. well, that, but we also, they gave us a foot in the door. Um, I didn't. I wasn't just some guy with three types of clown, clownfish or cichlids to, to show. Um, I was getting my fish from other breeders, too. So I walk into a store with a list of 50 or 100 fish. I'm a different person walking in that store. So I think the marine breeders need to recognize the fact that if they're really going to be of value to their stores, they're going to need to offer more than just oscillaries, clownfish, or perculas, or, or platinums, or just any, <laughs> just, you need to have more than just that. Well, and Tal, you do. You've got, you've yeah, got Friedmanis. In your own little and, room, you've got a big diversity. Yeah, yeah, you've got Friedmanis. You're trying to work on seahorses. You're adding to your list of, of what you can show to people. So, um, so if all the breeders can do that. Well, do you foresee sort of a collective, like, like, kind of a farmer's co-op where people are you know banding together to say we are united fish breeders or uh, what marine ornamental fish breeders whatever uh hello wholesalers this is our product list and is that kind of what you think to get this stuff to market well that's been that's a concept that's been talked about for maybe five years at least just since i've been doing this that's everyone always gets there I don't know that you need to have an actual organized co-op. I don't think it needs to go that far because the reality is is I don't need an intermediary to say, hey, Tal, do you want some Sunrise Dottiebacks, some Bitaniatus Dottiebacks, maybe some Onyx Perks, which you're not doing? Are you interested in those? I mean, that's just, it's just a business exchange from one breeder to another, and Tal might say, yeah, send me 50 of those, 25 of those, and he's going to be able to put those on his list to his store. And I might say, Tal, I really could use some Friedmanis and, and some Picassos, and boom, now I've got those on my list. But by and large, it seems like you're really cooperative among yourselves anyway. Well, you should be. You should be. I don't I don't the think secrets aren't kept like, you know, maybe they were earlier. I mean, there's probably no. still some proprietary techniques, but but, but if well, but if it's proprietary, if you're selling to all your fellow breeders, yeah. You know, it's so it's a it's a step out in that direction. You don't need some organization to do it. It's just pure business. Now, what do you think? We talked about the clowns. You talked about the platinums and the onyx perks and all these other variations. What are your thought as a breeder? Is it Okay, it's great that we're advancing the state of the art to the point where we have color strains and color morphs. Or you think, okay, we've got the basics down. Let's move on to something else. And instead of going after these tangents, or what's yeah, your thought? Actually, I, I've, I've kind of you know maybe ticked a few people off by saying I'm very anti-guppification and yeah. uh, really not into the man-made fish. And I've kind of had to rethink that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sitting with a lightning clown in my tanks. And I, if I'm anti-guppification, well, wait, why am I sitting with that fish in my tanks if I'm against that? And, and the thing I've always said is that as a marine breeder, it's about preserving natural biodiversity. That includes everything that happens in nature. So as weird as it sounds, I'm really into the, the, centri- uh, the, the paracentropedes cross, the, the venusus crossed with multifasciatus. It's a beautiful angelfish. It's found in the wild. So 
it's it's maybe a, a drawing a fine line or a distinction, but I'd say it's okay to pursue that because you are recreating the natural biodiversity. But what it, you would have to remember in doing that is that you need those parental species. You can't make that hybrid unless you have Paracentropyge multifasciatus and Paracentropyge venusus. You can't make the hybrid. So if we focus our efforts on those, on the man-made fish, and on creating hybrids and color morphs, but we lose the natural forms, then what will happen is if we somehow lose our wild populations, we'll be left with all these wonderful man-made forms, which I, I can admire for their beauty. But we can't get those original forms back. Right. Lost so, forever. Yeah, so, so it really it's interesting. My, my experience as an orchid breeder taught me you know, they, they document all their hybrids. All It's all registered. There's a big international organization uh, with the Royal Horticultural Society. But it can all be traced back to the original species. And if you lose a hybrid, well, hey, we haven't seen that that hybrid in years. And we, we've seen pictures of it, and we want it. Oh, well, we just need this plant here and this plant here to make it again. Totally different. You know, indigo dottiebacks can only be around if you've got the parental species. So um, I, I really put it to sum it all up. You've got to preserve the wild diversity first. You got to deserve. Uh, you got to preserve the species first. We have to be more responsible. The saltwater industry doesn't really keep track of where fish are being collected and coming from, but that's important. You look at uh, the new Amphiprion pacificus, which is split off from Acalopissos. Well, there's no difference between them other than where they came from. You really, as a layman, you couldn't tell. So, if you know where the fish came from, then you know what they are. Uh, there's many varieties of cinnamon clownfish they they have subtle variations to them you know might this from here it might have a white tail this one might have a yellow tail this one might have more black or less black does that constitute a strain or is that just a variation well it's a, it's a natural you know? race or a natural yeah. geographical variant but all of that biodiversity I, I i see that i see uh those natural forms uh the new caledonian form of the the, the cinnamon clown where half of them don't have head stripes in the population that's cool that's different. You know, do we need to make our own new strains or, or should we learn to appreciate what we already have first? And so my end result is once we've preserved all that natural biodiversity, then God bless you. Go for go for all the hybrids. Go for all the man-made stuff so long as you've got that natural base. So we're advocating flushing all platinum clowns down the toilet, correct? <laughs> you, after you heard, you heard it. After freezing them. You, you, you heard it first. You heard it first on... on I'm well, you've never been a stranger <laughs> to contra- you, you say what's on your mind, and I think that's really yes, cool. Yes, yes, yes. You've heard it first on Reef Addicts, or, and, and yeah, Jake can come after you, me you for you that. You might read about it first on Reef Builders. <laughs> yeah, i gotta go, I got to go do some writing now. <laughs> um, what's the next species that you think the hobby at large should be playing with? I mean, as far as the next genus, is it the Meacanthus? Is it the maybe Plesiopolidae? Somebody should be playing around with marine betas, or what's a, a species that's ripe for working with that you can see a commercial demand and is actually viable well it's i mean there's so much that hasn't been done um i would say if i was just to pick one out of the hat just looking at hobbyists in general wrasses absolutely just pelagic spawners are going to be difficult but think about how many different wrasses are in the hobby how much people value them um and and success with those would open would again open up so much more so uh you know we've we've kind of nailed down dragonettes 
Uh, we technically know how to do angelfish. So if we're really going to talk about the cutting, cutting, cutting edge, and I'm going to pull an answer out of my butt, it's going to be your asses. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> He's actually pulling it out of his butt. I'm too bad we don't have a visual on that. Yeah. Be right. I'm pulling it out well, of my ass right now. <laughs> but you brought up a good, an interesting point, though, because there are few commercial operations. I mean, commercial meaning a large-scale type, like ORA comes to mind. But this is really an area where the hobbyist, the individual, can make a difference right now, right? It's still a grassroots type thing and we still are on the ground floor yeah right? yeah you some of the some of them you don't have you may not have the scale for i mean if we wanted to talk about breeding uh, pomacanthus angelfish at, at, at home well if you've got the 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 big shark pond in your basement and you want to put throw a few french angelfish down there and that's your Convert starting your point. swimming pool now yes yes you know all, all you in in arizona and uh, florida and california <laughs> it's time um but yeah i mean realistically there's a lot of small fish you know think about trying something like a mystery wrasse you know that's one of the ones in, my, in the way back of my head that you know you could probably spawn this in a 20 gallon tank and you might get lucky what about those small species of gobies like the the the, the, the trimagobies and the eviota and all those little ones that you see novelty imports that come in with the shrimp and they're so tiny but i wonder if those are ripe for uh Breeding is this again the size issue is going to be a problem for the larvae. The size of the babies, the size of the foods they need. Um, you know, firefish, firefish. No one's technically reared a firefish yet. Um, and think about how common they are. And uh, you know, but again, everyone sees firefish and says, "Well, if I could do Helfrichi firefish, uh, just right. learn." You know, don't don't worry about that until you can do the regular firefish. Then make your money on your Helfrichis. Um, people are doing trying to do the ras basses right now. Um, you know, things like the, the Swiss Guard basslets and some of these different reef basslets. Well, while avoiding the Royal Grama and the Black Cap basslet. Well, yeah, altogether. but Royal Gramas can be done and Black Caps can be done. and but Viable commercial quantities. Yeah, but why would you do a fish that wholesales for, for three or four bucks right. and you can get it locally? I mean, it would be different if you lived in um, Asia or, or Africa where you can't get the, these. These aren't local fish to you. So uh, it's yeah, it's why you see captive bred Royal Gramas in Europe, but not here. Uh, it's a more expensive fish there. You see a lot of breakthroughs in individual species. You're talking about Meacanthus. What was it, Smithii or or Bundunensis? Okay. So, is it more difficult to breed a different species in the same genus? Is it is it vary from species to species, or is it really if you get one Meacanthus, you've kind of got the same technique for all of them? Subtle variations, but generally, I think the way we look at it as fish breeders, what we were talking cichlids. I mean, just to give, just to go off into the freshwater tangent and, and piss Mark off. Um, you know, the, when I the way I dealt with cichlids, Flick. yeah, <laughs> there it goes. Sorry, my time is done. Uh, the way I dealt with the cichlids and became a cichlid breeder was, if you learned how to do a linocara, you knew how to do them all. If you learned how to do a, pseudo, uh, a pseudotrophius, you, you kind of knew or trophius. They're all pretty much the same. They have the same basic requirements because they're all very closely related. So the same things, relatively speaking, holds true in, in the marine side of things. Um, you know, all the apogons breed the same way. And they, and Yet they we don't see very many apogons in the hobby. I mean, as well, far as captive bread, we see, what, maybe two or three species? But we don't see, uh, they're not a terribly common group, a popular group either to begin with. And we're, we're overall, we're a much smaller hobby. To, you know, we've got that aspect to deal with, too. We don't have the same mass. If you had the freshwater hobby pursue something and say, we're going to learn how to breed this. They'll have it done in like five years because you've got 10,000 people going out. There's an organization uh, devoted to just about every species of freshwater fish there is. Yeah. I mean, you think that the real key to captive breeding success on a mass scale is going to be when we master pelagic spawning fish like tanks? Is that going to be, that's the key right there? Well, that's, that's really the, the, the place we don't know. 
we know all the demersal stuff we kind of know uh you know we, it's all those pelagic spawners with the long uh larval durations where they don't settle to the reef for months those are where you know we're taking a a step back and saying oh this is still really hard and there's still a lot to learn once we nail that down well that's going to open up a lot of stuff and it's slowly creeping in and i can't say everything i'd love to say but it's slowly getting there it's going to be next 10 or 20 years is going to be a different ball game how many people would you say in the in let's say we're talking about the united states right now but how many people would you say in the country are actually regularly breeding or researching the breeding of marine fishes if you had to come up with just a number any idea how many hobbies? Really, really and I don't it. mean the casual guy who has a pair of perks and sets up a tank. I mean people that are saying, I'm going to do a little fish room. I'm going to really get dedicated. How many people do you think are, are doing that game right now? 20 or 30. 20 or 30. 20 or 30. And we have how many thousands of hobbies? Now, the marine, the marine hobby constitutes a small percentage of the overall aquarium hobby, but do you have any idea, Mark, how many people are in the hobby in the U.S.? More than one. So your percentage. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. More than one and less than 200. So, so the percentage of people probably actually really, really, breed really is very small, like hardcore going after it. You know, I mean, everyone's doing clownfish, so There's you're basically just saying, just push the clownfish aside for a minute. Let's look at everyone else and what they're doing. I can't. I, they would be a very short list. Not amazing. And yet, yet, how many people do you think are propagating corals in their basement? <laughs> thousands, uh, thousands. Yeah, definitely thousands. Thousands in any. We're in Chicago, in the metro Chicago area. There's probably at least a couple hundred, couple hundred people doing who, that. Who are doing it casually, but. But maybe, but then let's step it and try and make a comparison and, and a, com, uh, a comparable comparison and say how many people are really doing it on a larger scale. And well, maybe, you know, 10 or 20 in the metro area who are really doing a lot, or maybe only five even. I think about people with fish rooms in the Chicago metro area or coral rooms. Let's, for the right, <laughs> sake right. of clarification, not a fish room, a coral room. Or, you know, I, I really am down to only about as many as the fish breeders in Chicago. So it depends on what you, where, where you want to draw those lines of demarcation. So let's say, okay, here, here's your typical hobbyist, your challenge. You're throwing down the gauntlet to, to Joe Hobbyist. What do you need to get started? Realistically, you want to, okay, I want to breed my acanthus. I want to breed assessors because Tal's not doing a good enough job. So I no, want to you're not, it. Tal. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, thank God again we're on, on audio and yes. not visual. Yes. <laughs> you can't He's see the gesture. I think he was saying I was number one. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but, but let's just say somebody wants to breed a certain and, – and Tal, you can jump in on this. Yeah, Someone yeah. wants to breed uh, a certain species of fish, a relatively small species of fish. What do you physically think the average person needs to get started to actually get in the game? Um, let's see, a basic setup and a basic knowledge of the protocols of how to raise fish. That's why I talked about reading clowns today, because that kind of gets you to understand the process, where to start, and then you can move on to more difficult species. Um, picking a species that you like, that you're interested in, or that there's a potential market for, is a good place to start, and or something that's not been done before. Like, physically, how many how many aquariums would you say is a minimum for someone? You know, because I think a lot of what people are hesitant about, it, like anything else, is the equipment. I can't believe I'm interviewing a guy with horns all over his body. <laughs> you look like, say, I am interviewing this. Say, it's in a metaphorical way, yeah. Um, you know, really, yeah. Really, I mean, literally on a, on a very basic level, what, this, what would you say minimum equipment for somebody wanting to try one species? And, and again, Matt, you guys should definitely jump in on this one. Depending on the fish, you can probably get away with um, three tanks, two maybe. Um, 
one for the broodstock, one for the larva rearing, and grow out, depending on if you're using black round tubs or something like that. Um, basic things like heaters, air pumps, um, salt, and the foods, rotifers to start with, depending on your species, what you're working with. It's really not, it doesn't take a lot if you're just working with one species. I mean, you don't have to really go overboard and do start out with six or seven like some people did. And you've shown, too, from a, from a cost standpoint, I mean, both of you guys, you don't need epic equipment. You don't need designer acrylic aquariums and, you know, uh, ADA nanotanks. I mean, you need, I mean, you might want to do that, but <laughs> right. I might want to do it that way. But but you, you really don't need it. It's really the equipment that you have at your disposal. I mean, you were showing 17-gallon t- tubs, and, you know, it, it's basically your fundamental knowledge of what you're working with. But investment-wise, dollar-wise, what would you say is a minimum somebody would need to invest in equipment to, is there any just a you know to just assuage someone's fears? What what would you say you need to commit well, to? Maybe a couple Simple hundred dollars, maybe. I mean, if you you're not getting new stuff, you get um, go on your local sites and see who's selling a couple ten gallon or twenty gallon aquariums. Get used pumps, stuff like that. You can do it very cheaply. I mean, you don't have to buy, start with top of the line things like that. The majority of everything I have in my system is pretty much used, except the black round tubs. Those are new. So really, somebody can get in the game with relatively modest equipment investment and just a lot of dedication. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the only thing I would throw in there is that one of the biggest uh, things lately, and uh, I'm just it's just because I'm overwhelmed by the product would be to use the the modern um, algae pace because you need yeah. you need to rear rotifers, you're going to need live foods, but the biggest pain when I used to rear phytoplankton it was a hour a week. And four hours a month, uh, time commitment just to rear algae and to do the quantity of algae I needed. And I think you hit it on the head right there. Sorry to interrupt, but I think that no, that's no. one of the things that probably intimidates the average hobbyist who's taking care of his or her reef tank. You know, having enough t- fun, you know, testing water parameters or whatever, and then they're thinking, okay, I want to raise fish. Now all of a sudden, I've got to learn how to do phytoplankton. I got to do this. It's not quite the same anymore, right? There's been some recent developments and feeds that have made it so that. Average Joe or Jane hobbyist could actually get their foods to their fish relatively simply, right? Well, yeah, and it, I mean, you're never going to get away from having live feeds to start off baby fish. That's just a requirement. Um, what what we are doing now is, is you can. You know, it's not really new. Um, there have been algae pastes around for a long time that can be used for rearing rotifers and for doing green water technique. But we now have better. Uh, algae pace for these same these same things they give better success uh, you know refining an, exa- an existing proce- uh, product to make it better we, we all can understand that um, the the reality for me from going from live algae to pace is it saved me seven eight hours of work a month and so when I look at an investment of maybe hundred and fifty dollars let's just put it out there or even 200 to start up uh, culturing rotifers that seems intimidating it seems really expensive which is why I went and did um, I said, I'm going to do it yourself, algae culture. But then I had to go buy pumps and lights and starter cultures of all the algaes, and sometimes they would crash. And I had to buy fertilizers and gang valves and two-liter bottles, lots of two-liter bottles. And all of a sudden, it becomes the, the, hard the, to mon- the, well, the monetary yeah. investment in just the equipment was about the same as that paste. And then I still had all that labor. And I just, uh, being older and wiser and not so cheap maybe, I've kind of realized, no, the pace was actually the cheap way to do it. It was actually the economical way to go about it, and it also made it a lot more fun. I don't have to do all that. Ah, the F word, fun. Yeah, bringing we the fun back this. into it. You know, and, and, and you hit it on the head there, too, because I think people have, I, I know with the stony coral thing, 
I don't. I wonder, and I put this one out to the universe, but I, I wonder if people are having fun propagating corals right now. Uh, I, I mean, chopping. I'm not saying that there's there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but are they enjoying it, or is it now so driven on profit that the core has been lost? I mean, it seems like what you guys are doing in the fish breeding, maybe because it hasn't really developed into a commercial market yet, is that it's it's it's, it's a core experience. It's fun. The information exchange is there. You guys really love what you're doing. I mean, it's love. I mean, you guys really, it, you can feel it. It's fundamentally different from fragging because if you're breeding clownfish, the most clownfish most people can have is two, and they're done. It's over. That's it. Your, your tank's full for clownfish. You can put a lot of frags in tanks. You can, And, and on the same flip side, you can also uh, frag just a couple frags here or there. And you know, sell them off. It's really easy when you're when you're breeding fish and you have 200 fish to find homes for, and you can only put two in each home. It's it's, it's a different ball game in that respect, you know. So y- you are forced to be thinking commercially if you're successful. If you're a fish breeder, you're commercial, whether you admit it or not. You have to find homes for all those fish, unless those homes are in the belly of a lionfish, then you're fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you kind of hit it on the head there. Uh, it's. It's is it still fun for you? Do you do you wake up in the middle of the night and see that spawn and still get excited the next day? Or is it yeah, still yeah. There? But I, mean, I I have the the freshwater fish breeder in me who likes to always try something new. So like I was telling you guys uh, earlier this evening, it's like once it gets to settlement, oh cool done. I'm kind of wondering what what next. On the, to the, next. the growing out part, getting it to market size, it's just work. It's just more food and water changes. That's kind of. You know, I'd rather not do that. Oh, darn, another five hundred pseudochromas to worry about. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, you know, it's it's I it's the challenge of getting the spawn. That's where the hobbyist in me enjoys it. It's the challenge of spawning something new, rearing something new, make, making a new discovery. And, and the big thing I always say is, there's thirteen hundred firsts out there. You know, put stake your claim in it. And it's, so, yeah, that strokes your ego, makes you feel good, you know. It's cool. Um, but that's a hobbyist thing. That's fun. And have you noticed the trend in the hobby right now? I, I, you know, we get around the country a little bit, and the theme of almost every major or even minor conference right now is captive breeding of, of uh, livestock. That's a huge thing right now. It's really like the, the time is right. And five, six years ago, it was about what can we keep alive, maybe what corals are we propagating. Coral propagation is great. We've got it. It seems like we've got it now. We nailed it. We nailed it. Now it's on to the fish, and it's just it's just interesting to see how this is like a logical progression of what we started. Well, we you know, forgot. Years ago. We forgot about the fish. We, we, yeah, it was we all, lost in the shuffle. Yeah, we all we all got into this hobby for fish. I think. Absolutely. I don't think anyone ever looked at a tank full of of, of acropora and said, you know, and with no fish, and there said, are a few weirdos out there. I have to have all these colored sticks. Ooh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. It was the fish. It was the movement. It was Nemo. It was my wife who said, let's have a pair of clownfish that kind of kicked me back into the saltwater. And I was like, you know, it's it's all about the fish. So um, we, we forgot the fish because coral were all of a sudden cool and we could do them. And then we could make money at it and we could. But you can only go so far with that. And, and eventually you come back to the fish. Bigger picture. And we've talked about this before. And, yeah. and again, Tal, I think we've talked about this. Do you think that we've become more of a collector hobby than a... I don't know, a propagating hobby where everybody just wants to have that rare designer acro, that designer chalice, whatever. Do you think that that maybe there's that, that mentality crept into the hobby somewhere along the line? Do we get complacent and just think we well, can have anything we want? Or I think that the, I mean, just looking at the freshwater hobby and thinking about 
fish breeders and fish rooms, they're all about that new, rare, different. That's, I think, always been at the core of the aquarium hobby, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. You know, it's, it's, we are in, excited by something new, a new discovery, a new species we haven't seen before. The rarity it becomes the bragging right, uh, but, it's, but unfortunately it's maybe not a, re- a very good bragging right. What do you, oh, you had more money to spend on this coral than, than I did. Oh, you're special, you know. Um, it's, it's kind of a keeping up with the Joneses, you know, oh, he got, he got this latest limited edition get it, frag. frag it, get it out on eBay. And that, that, that unfortunately that, has well, and that's, that's the other aspect. That's the side of the hobby. That's really just thinking about money and, right. and thinking about what you can make, uh, and how you can maybe, and there's not to totally just shut that off because, uh, it's an expensive hobby. Lights on. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's an expensive hobby. If you can keep the lights, I mean, we have to, as fish breeders, I can't just forever dump thousands of dollars away and and just justify that as time well spent and money well spent uh especially if it's you know would be impinging upon my family so uh there does come a time where you have to say can i at least maybe make this pay its way kind of um so it's not neither is evil neither is going to kill the hobby it's what drove the hobby to be where it is in the first place but it takes the fun out of the hobby it's not the fun part of the hobby the fun part of the hobby is is Mark talking about staring at a refugium for two hours on his belly. You know, that's where the fun the fun is. If you lose the fun, then it's not for you. I mean, but I think we could all agree on that. Um, yeah. yeah, that's October two thousand twenty. What's what's going on in the hobby? What do you see? Uh, Fast forward a little bit. Two thousand twenty. Ten years from now, um, I I would say. Maybe aquascaping competitions. That's are, right. Are, right on. <laughs> you have <laughs> to kiss up fish. to your to your interviewer once in a while. <laughs> um, I would not be surprised uh, if we really saw problems with getting wild stock. Maybe maybe we might not even have wild stock, and we might be left with what we had done. It's legitimate possibility. Maybe not, but that's kind of the worst case scenario. Is we're stuck with what we have today, and and that's it. That's what I don't want to see. Um, what I would love to see is uh, a lot more hobbyists producing niche fish. Um, you can say that three times fast. Niche, niche fish. Um, you know, like, I mean, there's 50, 60 species of Dottiebacks. ORA produces three or four on a regular basis. The other 50 or 60 are not necessarily any different or harder simply can't devote space to well it's not commercially viable survival. because they can't sell a thousand a month but a hobbyist can do something a little off kilter and off beat and one batch might supply the entire country for a year or more but if the hobbyist isn't doing that we won't have them if we lose them so thinking you know going back to that advice of not doing what everyone else is doing finding your own little special fish that you can kind of get out to other breeders or other wholesalers you know that would be really cool if we all just really thought a little more about maybe specializing different things, saying I'm not going to breed any clownfish because there are 10 other people doing it in my, in my neighborhood now or something. You know, I'm going to do uh, fang blennies or I'm going to sp- focus on wrasses or, or, you know, I'm going to do one particular family and do it well because then you get a reputation in the freshwater hobbies just like that, you know. You, right. Killifish breeder, beta breeder, cichlid breeder, you're, they all specialize in folks, so they're not all doing the same thing. So do you foresee the day when... Like much like in freshwater, you'll go into your local fish store, see a tank full of captive bred, you know, dotty backs or whatever, 
and the kid's buying them, you know, your 10-year-old kid is buying them just for the sake of, I'm going to breed some of these and see how it goes. Sure. I think that's going to happen. I think, well, I think that kind of happens today. I mean, we, we had a, a young young man sitting in the in the breeding talks today. Um, there's a, a 15-year-old guy in Michigan who's breeding maroons and breeding other fish, you know, and that's really cool to see because my first saltwater tank, I was 10 years old, yeah. and I uh, had an undergravel filter and crushed coral, yep, you know. <laughs> so it'd be really it'd be really neat to see more marine hobbyists. I think that's one of the ways we can really keep uh, building momentum is actually getting more more and younger people into the hobby, um, you know, and getting them excited about it. And it's kind of neat because when I was a kid, I was really excited to breed guppies and mollies. Absolutely. That was awesome. Absolutely. You know, so if we could show them, hey, breed clownfish and 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 uh, uh, fang blennies and banga cardinals, and you know, then the older, more mature breeders are off doing more difficult things. Like difficult, yeah, like like tanks, perhaps. Like, Mark like has been trying to tanks, absolutely questions. tanks. Yeah, I don't know about tanks, but interestingly, they do rabbit fish. They do rabbit fish for food, and if you think about the relationship between your various rabbit fish and tangs, and you know, th- there's definitely going to be a, a tang captive bred in the next ten years, probably at a commercial large food fish type scale. I wouldn't be surprised what to see it. What type of tang do you think? Like one of the larger pelagic type tangs, or not a zebra soma type, a commercially well, ornamentally su- viable. Supposedly, well, that's all I can say. Supposedly. <laughs> Hypothetically, if one were to, you know, a zebrazoma type tang might have been done already. I don't know, no. maybe. So you know, be yellow. Mm. At one point uh, in its life, could it be yellow? They all could be yellow at one point in their life. That's kind of the yeah. cool part about uh, about fish breeding. Picasso yellow tang. <laughs> the Wyoming white tang is only a year away. It is. It, it is. It's coming. Um, no, but it, tangs definitely are, are on everyone's target list, but. They're not going to ever probably be at the hobbyist target list. They're going to be because tangs are efficient. Need a lot of space. Need to be big. Uh, you need a big space to get your tang to spawn. Most people just don't have it. So it's not. It's never going to be a hobbyist type thing unless you're a hobbyist named Joe Julio. You know, <laughs> <laughs> your, your your dream fish for spawning right now. If 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 it were a matter of being able to procure this fish, you can provide the facility for it. And I'm not talking manatees or no, something no. stupid like that. I mean a fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's obviously the answer everybody goes to. But what would what would be <laughs> the fish that you think would be your dream fish to work with right now? If you can successfully mate, spawn, rear, and produce in viable quantities. Um, see, I, I actually have a, a list in the works. Um, obviously, like peppermint angelfish. Uh, you know, uh, get well, with. well, the Takaguchi Genacanthus, sure. you know, that would be one I would personally love to see. Yeah. Well, just I mean, they're uh, they're beautiful as babies. They're gorgeous, and the uh, adults are pretty cool too. So I mean, that's a fish you're never going to see. Um, Meacanthus, uh, um, oh, geez, now I'm going to butcher the name too. And I just wrote about it. Damn it! Oh, it's late. I, I chalk it up to being late. Um, well, there's a beautiful Japanese meacanthus um, that I really would like to personally do. Um, there, there are certain species. Um, actually, Jake and I have talked about this. Certain species that have an upside down pricing structure. So, Jake, I'm quoting you, uh, where you have a fish like um, conspicuatus angelfish sure. that sells for more when it's smaller. All the more incentive to go breed a fish like that. Right. 
because people are willing to pay top dollar for the tiny things. So like the Panatus batfish were perfect, right? You know, because uh, who cares what they're like when they're big? But when they're two inches tall, they're really cool. So there, there's certain things like that. Um, on top of my list is Cinchiropus or Cinchiropus circularis. It's not particularly pretty, but if I'm going to claim a dragonet for myself, that's so going to be the one. Uh, if I can even find it, I've been looking for it for three years. So, uh, you know, these little offbeat fish like that. that That's your niche fish. Uh, niche fish. Uh, Rudarius minutus. Who cares about <laughs> Rudarius minutus? I do. It's a really cool little file fish about an inch long. little subtle pattern to it, but really cool. You know, so I've got certain fish like that that are on my hit list that, uh, you know, if I'm looking for them, if I can find them, I'll, I'll, I'll work with them. Cool. Thank you very much, That's guys. it. Awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. This next part is going to be with Rob Topping, who organizes the Midwest Frag Fest. Uh-huh. And the website is called fragfestproductions.com, and it's a, it's a way to raise money to put aquariums in schools. And I thought that it'd be interesting to hear more about this, and so I've got this recording as well to put on the same podcast. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm actually... I'm completely not a part of this podcast, so now I'm interested to listen to it. So we're here with Rob Topping from Fragfest Productions. And Hi, how are you doing? I, I just, you know, when I looked up that website name, it never even occurred to me that it was anything other than a name of a website. So can you tell us a little bit about what this is and what the event's about? Uh, Midwest Fragfest started um, about four years ago as a one-day swap with one speaker. And with the response that we had, I saw the opportunity to have a much larger, grander event. Um, something that supported a local club at the time and also supported the hobby in a grander scheme. Um, so with a little bit of work, or maybe a lot of work, I put together a, a two-day event uh, in Rockford at the Clock Tower Resort um, where we had speakers from across the country come in, uh, vendors uh, from all over the place as well, uh, lots of support from the industry and from the hobby, and we had a, a wonderful two-day event. Um, and that was the uh, year that um, our... our beloved uh, iMac had uh, faded away, so it was a great opportunity to continue a Chicagoland area two-day event um, for the Midwest. Uh, It's uh, referred to as Midwest Frag Fest. Um, Over the past years, we've supported things like uh, uh, uberfrags.net being launched, uh, MoFib's website, um, Martin Moe's work with uh, the Long Spine Urchin, and this year we're uh, supporting a project called Generation Tank, which is putting aquariums into classrooms. Uh, We have aquariums right now through uh, from preschool through third grade um, with plans to add about five more. Right now the aquariums are pretty much Nemo tanks. Uh, the little kids really like a pair of clownfish in there. Uh, we do have a Red Sea Max in a kindergarten class and, and there's clowns and acros and monies and the whole reef shebang in that tank. Um, the other ones are uh, not as able to support the, the coral life um, so they're, they're a little bit more limited in scope. Um, we have plans to do uh, a run in a high school science room where we'll set up two nearly identical tanks or as best as we can and mm-hmm. uh, the kids will study the effects of uh, a couple of different trace elements and compare them mm-hmm. which I think will be really neat I, I think as hobbyists we have preconceived notions we have recommendations from friends and, and past experience that tells us uh, one product is better than another when it may not be so um, having a, some high school kids go through and do a test uh, I might be surprised and find that my favorite additives really aren't as good as your favorite additives. Um, I think it would be really neat to have somebody who doesn't fully 
have the, doesn't have those preconceived notions and doesn't yeah. have those friend recommendations to look at the the results from it. Um, I think Generation Tank is, is something that will help uh, our hobby along for the next generation, and that's really where the name came from. Uh, trying to share my passion and enthusiasm, as yours passion and enthusiasm as well, with the next generation of, of reef hobbyists, right. of vendors, uh, inventors, uh, and you think about how far the hobby has come in the last. Uh, five or 10 or 15 years, uh, where's it going to be in the next five or 10 and who's going to be, you know, the next, you know, Marks and Robs. Um, yeah. They're in that school waiting to be found. Yeah, that's absolutely true. How many tanks are out right, are being done right now or being in the schools? Right now I'm maintaining um, five aquariums there. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to add another five more from the proceeds from this event. Um, I have a couple of them sitting at home ready to, to be installed, um, mm-hmm. and then hopefully uh, this will be able to fund uh, the additional aquariums and, and livestock for it. And are these different schools at different areas, or is it all in one school? Right now it's just in one school. Um, For the past three years, I've been setting up a tank in a a kindergartner's class. It started in my daughter's kindergarten class, and the Mm -hmm. teacher really liked it and wanted me to do it again, which was last year. And last year I had teachers coming out of the woodwork saying, well, what do I need to do to get one in my uh, class? Um, So I worked with the school and got permission to put uh, up to 10 aquariums throughout the school. Um, Most of them, like I said, are going to be small. We are going to put a large tank in a common area. Potentially a 90-gallon fish-only system uh, right outside of a library there. And as this thing has grown, and I've started reaching out to other people I know in the education industry, uh, there's other schools that are interested, and there's grants available, and there's a lot of potential for this. Um, It's kind of building up its momentum Mm -hmm. in in this pilot school, and uh, hopefully next year we'll we'll add a couple of uh, schools to it, and we'll just continue to let this thing grow. I like that. I, I like the idea of it. I kind of picture you having this route where you have to go from school to school to school. I, I, I have that picture in my head as well. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I definitely, if you ask my family, I have the passion to do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, finding that balance between that passion and the family is sometimes, a, you know, a trick. But uh, it, it's nice that right now it's in my kid's school because, you know, I take my kids to school and I go and I check on the tanks and then I go about my day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do I do see that route uh, in the future to, to go from school to school and, and maintain them and continue to grow this. You might have to worry about the teachers holding your kids back to make sure you stay there for the tank. <laughs> you know, I, I, we've joked actually about that. Um, after my daughter went through the kindergarten uh, class, the teacher was like, well, wh- what about next year? Yeah, your and, daughter and, failed. She has to take kindergarten again. Yeah, you know, <laughs> She's not good to the crayons. <laughs> yeah, so. She colored um, outside the lines. That'd be another year. <laughs> Just to have the tank, and that's okay. <laughs> yes. um, so that's why I let them have a, have the tank anyway. And, yeah. Uh, that's the classroom that has the Red Sea Max, and she was the one that let me in first. I, I wanted to give her the, the nicest out of my uh, assortment of tanks. Um, you know, talking to vendors here uh, at, at Midwest Frag Fest, there's a lot of interest in this, uh, a lot of um, verbal commitments to it, uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll get those other aquariums, uh, whether from the proceeds of, of the event or yeah. from those vendors that, that are enthused about this and see the, you know, upside. Um, yeah. I came up with the idea after, you know, two, three years of doing FragFest and seeing the vendor support for an existing base of consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, people are donating things to uh, these events, uh, the vendors are donating stuff to these events, and they're being won by individuals who would have bought it next month if they didn't win it. Yeah. Well, what if we got them to donate to somebody who isn't your customer, somebody mm-hmm. that isn't in the hobby and in the industry, and make them a customer and mm-hmm. a, a, a reef addict? It um, just seems like you would want to put these vent, uh, these uh, tanks 
on your website as well, since FragFestProductions.com is always around. So you have your, your pilot program right there. You lick, uh, click on the link, and now you can see the tanks in the various rooms. There, you know? there is Keep it a permanent um, some link. information up there about Generation Tank. Um, and with these installs and with uh, the, the, the event, um, th- I have the pictures on my camera. Soon yeah, to be installed. time to share them with the world. Uh, <laughs> and, and that will be in the next coming days as, as the dust settles on, on uh, the Frag Fest event. We'll yeah. be able to get the rest of those tanks up there. And, and also, you know, the, the uh, tank that I have, um, the Red Sea Max, we have on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. um, Midwest Frag Fest. Uh, Facebook. I'm not sure how to necessarily search it, what the URL is, but Midwest yeah. Frag Fest on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, there's some pictures of, of the Red Sea Max. The growth on that in the last three months, I, I need to take new pictures because that tank is <clears throat> yeah. me, doing quite well. Before and after. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds yeah. great. And we started it with frags. Um, you know, I, I didn't put colonies in there. I put frags, and the kids are loving watching these things grow. Yeah. Every morning I go in there, and it's, uh, Mr. Rob, Mr. Rob, there's a starfish <laughs> arm. Mr. Rob, the coral grew, and, yeah. and it's a lot of fun. No, that's cool. Having the excitement with the kids, that's perfect. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, like I said, you know, that's that's where it's at. I, yeah. As a father, you know, I have a passion towards kids. As a, a Reef attic. I have a passion towards the tanks, and, and I get to marry the two of them. I, right. Who doesn't want that? I, yeah. That's really cool. I totally agree. So, are you part of an active club right now? Um, there isn't an active club right now that I am a, a part of. Um, I did help found uh, the Rockford Reefers, which is where we started this event from. Mm-hmm. Um, after last year's event, there was uh, some disagreements or some whatever you want to call it, and, mm-hmm. and we decided, you know, the, the club was in a position that they could go. F- forward without me as president mm-hmm. um but the event's future was a concern um and so i decided to you know pursue the event because i didn't see that happening if i wasn't involved where yeah. i saw the club continuing if i wasn't right um the club is still uh somewhat active they're they're kind of in a transitional period still mm-hmm. but uh there's some uh, dedicated individuals with that club that are trying to keep it afloat oh that's good yeah um the areas need clubs i mean no matter where you're at you, you need some people to get connected with um i totally agree I learned so much from, you know, going and, and talking to other hobbyists and, and seeing their setup. And whether it's a simple little idea on a, a green funnel to fill your system up uh, or, you know, something uh, you know more grand than that. It, it, there's a lot of neat ideas out there that if you don't get to see other systems, you won't know about it because it's not the topic of conversation. Yeah, if you didn't come to the Midwest Frag Fest and hear the presentations, you wouldn't know about the green funnel urinal. <laughs> <laughs> and now everybody's going to be wondering, what in the world is that? Yeah, I'm going to have to steal a picture from uh, the presentation. Now, we had some excellent speakers here. We had food. We had drink. We had candy. Lots and lots of Halloween yeah. candy. That was fun. Some costuming. Absolutely. There, You're dressed there up right now like a hobbyist. Yeah, I, I'm here as a... <laughs> reef a, nutrition a, employee. A reef nutrition employee. <laughs> I, and maybe, you know, if, if I you know bombard Randy enough, uh, I, I could do that one day. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. And uh, thanks for having me out. It's it's been an honor to have you here. I really appreciate the support from the speakers, from the vendors, from the bulletin boards, and from the hobbyists. It's, you know, for me, this is just an extension of my hobby. Um, I'm very passionate about the hobby, and and doing these events is stressful. But in the end, it's a lot of fun. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we will be bringing you out another one. And I bet it'll be out pretty soon, to be honest, because there's going to be more news about what's going on. Uh, from this event that we're going to this weekend, as well as what's going on with our tanks, because Jess is setting up hers, I'm building the room around mine, and I feel like we're just going to have more content coming out soon. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will have episode 10 coming out shortly.
Bye, guys. Miss you. Happy, Love you. Happy, Bye. happy reefing. Could never cause Years go by. I'm looking through a girly magazine. And there's my whole angel on the pages in between. My blood runs cold. My memory has just been sold. My angel is the centerfold. Angel is the centerfold. You hate hearing yourself sound cute, huh? <laughs> I don't sound cute. And right now, my not my nasal passages are all stuffed up, so I'm extra nasally and extra not cute. No, I thought you sounded just normal. No. See? <sighs> I'm so Sexy. using that. Sexy, huh? See you in that Now tell me you didn't actually pause the recording. You just told me no, that. No, I just told. I just told okay, you. Okay, good. Because I can cut this all out. Yeah, all right. yeah, I would cut that all out. Just.